Podcasting from Astrolab Studios, this is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi fantasy and just plain weird shows that have faded from the collective consciousness and didn't quite make the impact that they intended. This week, Galactica 1980, episodes 1 and 2. The great ship Galactica, majestic and loving, strong and protecting, our home for these many years we've endured the wilderness of space. And now we near the end of our journey. Scouts and electronic surveillance confirm that we have reached our haven, that planet which is home to our ancestor brothers. Too many of our sons and daughters did not survive to share the fulfillment of our dream. We can only take comfort and find strength in that they did not die in vain. We have at last found Earth. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that explores forgotten and little-seen science fiction television. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I'll tell you what's real. My excitement for starting a new TV series. I was ready. I was ready this week. <laughs> I was wondering what you are going to come up with. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, as we've said a couple times now, we're going to start into Galactica 1980 this week. Now, Jordan, this one was your choice. Was there a particular reason you wanted to get into this show? I think I'd heard of it before, and I'd seen, obviously, the new Battlestar Galactica, and this is sort of, uh, I guess my interest was in this weird remake that they seem to pretend never existed, at least fans of the show. This is sort of the uh, ugly stepchild of, of uh, of the Battlestar Galactica canon, it seems. Yeah, I had only seen the Ronald D. Moore reboot as well. I actually don't know anything about the original series. Did you know the original series is only like one season? Well, that's funny because I started reading about it too. And we can talk about this as we go through it. But what will be interesting is neither of us have seen the original Battlestar Galactica. I know the basic beats of it because of the new show. Um, which I liked quite a bit. And obviously it seems like the basic plot points are are the same, if not very similar. But this series is going to be weird because I think it was pretty panned. It wasn't a success, but neither of us have seen the original series. So we're going into it just watching it as a series. So there's no real, there's no expectations on our part. So I wonder if that's going to change our, change the view of this show. Well, it's funny. This feels a lot like tech war to me in some ways in that I realized after I assumed that the original Battlestar Galactica ran for several seasons before it was like ended and then this was just kind of a sequel or spin-off. But this appears to be the second season of Battlestar Galactica. So this uh, aired 1980, which is which tells you right in the title. It's right there, right there in the title. I'm sure you did a little bit of the research too, but the basic idea was Battlestar Galactica had ended. There was one of those write-in campaigns that I guess still happen to this day yeah apparently this was like one of the first times it ever happened so that's why they were like oh i guess we need to bring it back yeah so you know fans were really jonesing for more of the show but what the people involved or i don't know if it was the studio or the network airing didn't want to spend as much money so the basic idea was what can we do for cheaper and there's a couple iterations of how the show became what it is but really what it is is can we make a cheaper version of battlestar galactica and after they went through some changes. What they ended up with is, what if we just set it in the time period, like right now, which is, you know, 1979-80. Yeah, well, I guess that was the premise of the original show. And I guess the premise of the reboot is they were trying to find Earth. So it just made sense to jump ahead and get them to Earth. 
Although what I read was apparently at the end of uh, Galactica, where they should have been was about 1969 or so. So they've just like fumbled with their own uh, timeline. But I mean, who really cares? So Galactica 1980 ran from January 27th to May 4th, 1980. And do you know what else ran in that exact timeline? Hmm. That's a good question. What ran just in 1980? Uh, I can tell you right now. Yeah. Why don't you tell me? You don't have to guess for it. It's Beyond Westworld. Oh, really? Oh, it was the same? So these, wow, what what a time to be alive. Yeah, this, because Behind Westworld was running basically, I think it ran from January to March, like it, or it has a very small crossover. I'm surprised I didn't write this down in my notes, but there's a very small crossover where these both were on the air. So a lot of the history is the same, like this was, they are both going on during the Canadian caper, the inspiration for um, Argo. And uh, so a lot of the same history was going on. So there wasn't a lot of stuff to I haven't looked at before. I was like, oh, I remember all these past history events because this is when that other show was on. Well, that's going to be interesting then to compare this to Beyond Westworld in terms of not only the um, quality of sets and costumes and budget, but also the writing at the period, you know, because you can only really compare things to what was happening at the time. It's not really fair to compare something to something that came generations later. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll see a lot of very similar production design and stuff, even in these first two episodes. They seem, they feel similar to me. I would agree. All right. Uh, Here's a little quick trivia for you. Here's who was born while Galactica 1980 was on the air. Two of the cast of that 70s show, Wilder Rama and Laura Pepron. Hmm. So this show has a lot to do with that 70s show. Weird. Okay. <laughs> and then here's who died while it was on. Alfred Hitchcock. Oh. Yeah. He was like, why do they keep doing cliffhangers that aren't cliffhangers in every episode? And then he died. <laughs> why do they just slightly restructure these episodes? Yeah, exactly. Um, but that's there's not a lot of stuff we haven't talked about because of our previous stuff. So a little little trivia but but nothing nothing else happened in 1980 we can move on nothing happened that year remember everyone just took the year off everyone just took a nice break the rubik's cube came yeah. out they uh, played with that all year <laughs> is that is that what we talked about last time the rubik's cube came out no but i saw that while i was looking around for stuff that happened in 1980 oh hey ever you ever solved a rubik's cube never never in my life no me neither it's impossible did i ever tell you the weird story uh i was looking at apartments years ago and uh, I, I showed up to one place and the guy who was supposed to be showing the apartment wasn't there. But someone let me in the building and I was looking at the uh, at the, the apartment and the guy th- that was supposed to be showing rushed in and he was like, oh, sorry, I'm late and blah, blah. And he starts like really quickly just showing me the apartment and then went, oh, hold on one second. Do you know where my Rubik's Cube is? And I said, what? And he went and he just started looking around and he opened a cupboard and it was empty cupboards. And the only thing in the cupboard was a Rubik's Cube. And so he took it out and started playing with it. And I thought, I- I'm not taking this apartment. Do you think that was like a fun icebreaker? He just does that every time? Yeah, it w- I- I- it was the weirdest thing. Because like, was I supposed to be impressed? Or was it an actual thing of he keeps losing Rubik's Cubes? I don't know. It sounds so staged, but to what end? <laughs> exactly. I'm like, you know what? I like this guy's gumption. Also, he's quite dexterous. <laughs> I can't wait to take this apartment. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't take the apartment. Oh, well... He'll try with the next guy, I guess. Mm -hmm. All right. Should we get into it? Let's do it. Here is the IMDb summary for episode one, Galactica Discovers Earth, part one. After years of searching for Earth, the Galactica finds Earth. Adama would like to land, but a child prodigy named Dr. Z advises Adama against it because he believes that if they do, the Cylons will attack Earth. That summary 
which I heavily truncated because it was much, much longer, was courtesy of rcs0411 at yahoo.com. <laughs> I, I really enjoy when these people have these just terrible, terrible handles. It just gives, gives you your email, their email just in case you want to reach out and uh, tell them how much you like their summary. By the way, I looked up uh, Keith is me. That guy's reviewed like five million things. I need to find out this 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 link you clicked on. I want to see all the stuff he's reviewed. But it's just like episodes of TV shows, like constant. It's interesting. Do you think he's just a robot? It might be a robot, yeah. He might be a um, review silicate robot. He's a super advanced AI just created to <laughs> review television shows on IMDb. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's important for this podcast. <laughs> well, let's try to get a hold of him. All right. Uh, did you notice that uh, like... Beyond Westworld, this show starts off with precaps again. It's such an odd way of watching a television show because I thought it was at first doing a recap of Battlestar Galactica to get you up to speed. But no, it's like, hey, do you not have an hour? I'm going to show you everything that's going to happen in this episode in like two minutes. Yeah, I mean, I guess this really must be a trope of the time showing you a two minute clip show of what you're about to watch. This is especially annoying because it not only does that, but then it also does a recap. Well, that's true because because it's a part one and a part two. I mean, at the beginning of part two of this episode, episode two, we get our precap of what's going to happen in the episode. You get the credits for the episode, the credit like opening sequence, mm-hmm. and then you get a recap of what happened in part one. Uh, I timed it. Did you see how long it took to get through all that information? My guess was about eight minutes. What was it? It was about six minutes and 15 seconds. So It felt like an eternity. Imagine basically your first act of a television show being just clip shows from the last episode and this episode and then the credit sequence which is also just a clip show of the original Battlestar Galactica I guess yeah it's very weird anyways but I think you're right I think that's just I'm we'll have to ask someone who was watching TV in 1980 but I I don't remember it from when I was a kid but I guess that was a thing at the time very it's very funny to see it come back Uh, these precaps they're back and they're better than ever also are they actually called precaps or did we just make that up oh that's my term for them I like it no it's good precap very 1984 of you just creating that new word well what else would you call them i guess trailer <laughs> oh i guess a teaser for the show you're about to watch teaser yeah, yeah. anyway i like precap though all right so the episode starts off with uh, galactica arriving at its ancestral earth to meet its i guess human brothers mm-hmm. and what they sort of discover right off the bat like there's a lot of weird not weird but exposition off the top and I guess they're expecting Earth to be as advanced as they are because they're upset to find out these Earthlings are too primitive to, like, help them fight the Cylons. What I liked was they, they arrive on Earth. They're all excited. They finally get there. And then they see clips of how disappointing humans are. And the reason they're disappointing is because they like, like, car chases and Westerns and stuff. And that's what makes them disappointed because they're basically watching stupid, you know, they like dumb movies and things. But what I like is it goes on forever, doesn't it? They just keep showing clip after clip after clip. I was like, okay, we get it. Humans are stupid. Like, you don't need to show me 10 minutes of clips. Well, that's what it is. They're, they're watching television. They're basically flipping through whatever popular Earth television is at the time to get an idea of what Earthlings are, are and what they're into and what their history is. I believe they call them uh, educational transmission bands. That's what they think tel- of television. There's a lot of like fun, what would an alien call this kind of stuff going yeah. on in the show. But yeah, they sort of realize Earth isn't prepared to face the Cylon threat that they're running from. They seem to know a lot about Earth and at the same time not know anything about Earth. And I, and I don't know if those two things work together because uh, we'll talk about Dr. Z, I think, probably pretty soon. Or Dr. Z or whatever the heck this little weird man child woman child thing is um but uh 
there's like here's all this information about earth it's like but then they go down they don't know anything yeah they imply they've gathered all the information they can i guess their computers pulling it from television signals but they seem to know an awful lot and yet an awful little like they'll all be equipped with little wrist computers they're like dick tracy's thing his little wrist watch but it's it's also like an iWatch where they're like oh quick i don't know how to make change and it like will go you need 75 cents and it will tell you how to do it it's kind of a portable wikipedia like anytime they need information they're able to type it into their wrist thing and the wrist thing will tell them oh that's what a human means by this piece of information but you're right it's like does the technology jive I, i i don't think so it's hard to it's hard to understand how they could have so much information and yet so little at the same time so should we talk about this doctor person who's presenting all this information yeah basically what we're who we're introduced to is dr z who's a sort of child genius a a cerebral mutation they call him he's kind of not he's not the head of their community but he's basically the scientific head of their community now let me ask you and i, I know this is going to sound insensitive and i don't mean it to sound this way but i had difficulties even realizing what gender he was and also if he was an adult or child just because it's that weird nineteen late 1970s, early 80s hair, like bowl cut, and that he's always just shot in this weird, fuzzy kind of way. My point is, do you think that was an intentional? Well, I think they're, he's a bit of an oracle. So he shot with a lot of light on him. Like he shot as if he's glowing. I think they put a pretty soft lens on top of him. He's sort of supposed to be mysterious, but I, I think he's supposed to be a small boy is the idea. I, I He looks like they shrunk John Denver. <laughs> I looked him up and I guess he's from the Brady Bunch or something. Oh, you know who he might be? I think he might be, um, uh, oh, I need to know someone who really likes the Brady Bunch. Cousin, whatever his name, the character they brought in later on to try to, uh, jazz the show back up when it was, when it was starting to go down. That's exactly who he is. Oh, okay. Yeah. I also looked at his IMDb and uh, the one thing I knew him from is he's Michelangelo from the Ninja Turtles movies. Oh, really? Later on? Yeah. I guess he became a voice actor. So he plays the Michelangelo voice and all those live action ones. Oh, that's that is a weird little tidbit. Yeah, there you go. But Doctor Z is basically holds a big meeting for uh, Adama. Commander Adama from the series is still in it. Uh, I only know him from the uh, from the reboot, so I was glad to see a character I recognized. Let me ask you one quick thing: Does he have a real beard, or is that a fake beard? Oh, it's got to be a real beard. You think so? I couldn't tell, and I know we're watching on not the greatest quality, but I was like, it looks funny. He's quite elderly. He looks like like Father Time or something or the <laughs> old man New Year or something at the end of the year. He's, he's quite an elderly man who's the commander yeah. of the fleet. But in this little mission briefing he gives to, I guess, the elite of the Galactica fleet. I'm not really sure. Like, But there's a whole bunch of people there, and I guess they run all the ships. He sort of tells them what's going to happen and shows them a video presentation of what, what Earth's like and he really focuses it on Los Angeles in specific, mm-hmm. but he sort of talks about how there's a lot of smog and he shows cars driving around. And as he's going through this like clip show of what earth and what Los Angeles life is like, he suddenly turns it into a simulation of what would happen if a Cylon attack happened on Los Angeles. Yeah. But what's funny about that is I have two things I can mention. One is that you don't know that's what is happening right away. He's suddenly like, look at the screen and it's just the Cylons destroying everything. And you're led to believe that that's what's happening. At the very end, he goes, oh, by the way, that was a simulation. Which was funny because it's like the only action scene in the, in the episode. And it's it's not real. It's a great action scene, though. Um, I suspected it was a simulation just because I, I doubted we were going to start on Earth being devastated by Cylons. Though that would have been a great show. I, I thought the same thing. Can I tell you something fun, though? Apparently, 
uh, due to budgetary restraints, what they did was that footage is just from the movie Earthquake, and they just added the Cylon ships on top of it after to, to save money. See, I was going to ask about this. Is When I was watching it, this entire sequence where they attack, it looks like a 70s disaster movie. And I actually thought, this looks exactly like Earthquake. The Because I love those movies. Do you really? That's fun. Um, they, uh, they they just added Cylons on top of things. Because it does... It's funny, because before I knew it was a simulation, my note was, there doesn't seem to be any sort of plan of attack here by the silence it just seems like random shots where they're just shooting stuff it's like oh that's why because it was just shots of you know buildings crumbling and streets cracking open and that sort of thing well and i suspect that it was taken from another movie because i you know i didn't think they spent that much money like it looks like professional 70s disaster movie so i'm like this has to be taken from footage from somewhere else because there's no way they spent all this money to like build a miniature of a building cracking in half and to have all these extras screaming and running through the streets and like debris falling down on them i was like there's no way they spent this money, so this must have been taken from somewhere else. Great sequence, though. I really liked it. I, I did, too. I thought it was good. I mean, like I said, I love those 70s disaster movies, so this was right up my alley. Do you like that Towering Inferno? You like that one? Oh, yeah. I love Towering Inferno. I could watch those all day long. There's something about hmm. the uh, practical effects of like miniatures collapsing and, and then cutting to people screaming and glass falling on them. It's, it's, I like it a lot. Hmm. But essentially, Dr. Z reveals his plan, and that is that Galactus has to send people to Earth quietly in order to sort of seed future technology amongst them to like basically kickstart Earth's development so they are prepared, I guess, to accept Galactica when they reveal themselves? Yeah, because what they realize is they've come all this way. They've been traveling for, I think it's 30 years, right? Yes. Something like that. And when they get there, they're like, finally, it's Earth. And then Dr. Z's like, oh, hold on, everyone. Just so you know, the Cylons have been following us the whole time, and they've just been waiting for us to uh, lead them to Earth, and if we stop here, they're going to attack Earth and ruin everything, just like they did on, I guess, the previous planet. So let's just send guys down secretly, and we won't, I guess we'll just, but the thing is, the Cylons must see them sitting out by Earth, so I don't understand really the plan, but the plan is do it secretly, and they won't know that we're, what our plan is. Yeah, I... <laughs> I'm not entirely clear on the whole thing with the silence following them. I just get the idea they're they're coming at some point. The plan is basically the same plan from the Quester tapes. Is it? It's super intelligent space people come to Earth and then secretly infiltrate Earth society to help advance them in a method that they wouldn't be able to do on their own. Maybe this is a bit of a, a sort of mid to late 70s trope of science fiction of this idea of, you know, humans needing to advance past our sort of primitive states because i mean there was a little bit of that in genesis as well essentially though our two leads are selected because a bunch of teams are going to be put together from galactica sent down to different areas of earth to work with i guess people they think are receptive to the idea of being advanced beyond their years by an alien force and so they break into teams of two and the two team the team of two we're going to follow are leads troy and dylan yeah. And uh, did you, this is the only note I had about Dylan, is that uh, he is all neck. <laughs> is he, which, which, one of them is Dick Van Dyke's son. Which one's he? Oh, I have no idea. Hold on, let me look up which one's Dylan and which one's. Dylan, I just wrote that because. Yeah, D Dylan is, that's Barry Van Dyke. That's Dick Van Dyke's son. His neck is as wide as his head. <laughs> so he, he looks like he just has a continuing neck up into his face. So apparently what I read, and this may or may not be true, is that. Basically, the original leads of the show didn't want to be part, ha have any part of this. So 
they just cast two new people who essentially are playing the same parts, although with different names, and they really just cast them because they look similar to the other guys. It's a very real Dukes of Hazard recasting that's happening here. Well, I don't entirely know the show well enough, but uh, Troy, the other lead who's not all neck, <laughs> he is goes by Boxy as well. So I think he was the child of one of the original cast, and they say he's Adama's grandson. Yeah, he's the adopted grandson of Adama is what I read. Well, and they show a photo of his parents, which I, I must be either Starbuck or one of the original cast members, too. Like, I think he's supposed to be one of their kids. I don't know, A, what happened to his parents, why they're gone, or, like, there's a lot of explanation that's not given as to what happened. They, like, they're not saying these guys didn't exist, the original cast, but they're kind of not giving you any idea what happened to them. It's like, this is the next generation, but don't worry about any of these people because they conceivably still be here, but just don't pay attention to it. I'm like, did they die? Because Adam is still alive and he is quite elderly. But there's one thing I, I should mention um, about the Cylons. Did you catch how how long it's been since they'd seen the Cylons? No, I don't remember. I remember they said, but I don't remember how long it's been. They said it was a billion star miles. A billion star miles. Hmm. I, don't, yeah. I don't know how long that is, so... Yeah, I know. Either do I. But I, I, I quite like that because it doesn't mean anything, but like it does for them. I was like, yeah, they have their own unit of measurement. They do everything in star miles. It's been about three weeks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It feels like I've been on this job for a billion star miles. Anyway, these teams mount up to go down to Earth and uh, they get to use the Vipers from the original series, which I'm well aware of because of the reboot. But Dr. Z's invented a new little secret for these Vipers. They uh, have a cloaking technology that allows them to hide from uh, humans in plain sight, I guess. What I like, though, about that was they, they, you know, they're all impressed. Like, look, you can cloak your ship. You can cloak yourself. And then, but they, they drop a line of dialogue of it can only work for a certain amount of time. Sort of like the writers were adding this thing like, don't worry, we're not going to use this to get out of every situation where they can just be invisible. <laughs> but then the next two episodes, they pretty much use it every time they need to get out of a situation. They just go invisible. How much did you like their spacesuits when they were flying the vipers well here's the thing so they look like they're pharaohs or something they're the weirdest helmets but they don't have any glass on the mask yeah the helmets are insane like they look like they're pharaohs hats i I don't know i've never seen anything like it i never watched the original series i guess that must be from the original series it's kind of cool but like makes them look so egyptian yeah it's it's a weird look but I, i agree with you i like it because it doesn't look like anything else and, I, and I'm assuming, and maybe you'll be able to correct me, I'm assuming they you're supposed to just think there's glass there, but they didn't do it because of reflections? That must be it. I mean, we've seen it before. I mean, they did that on Space Bone Beyond when they had glass and realized it, like, blocked the faces too much. I'm sure it was just, like, it's easier not to have glass in there. Yeah. And then you write something where it's just like, oh, it's a magic force field. Yeah. And there's one other one other thing we did mention. When they're walking around the ship and you're seeing a little bit of... Uh, uh, how people are are living and you see kids and stuff. Do you see them playing with those like gorilla robots? Yeah, they're like, are they gorillas? They're like robot dogs or something. I think that must have been in the original series. I'm, I'm sure I've seen photos of that from the original series. These little like robot dogs. It might even been in a character. You just see them and they're like, you're like, oh, what's that over there? And they're like, oh, there's the toys. And then they just like pass by. You're like, oh, that's fun. Oh, no, wait, let's go back to 1980 on Earth. I, I'm betting that in the original series, that was Boxy's pet maybe our, our now character called troy that must he must have had that as a pet because he walks by them and looks at them fondly and i'm like okay that's a connection to the original series right also everyone lives in like shipping containers <laughs> is that what they were i don't know it looked like everyone was living in like really unfortunate circumstances it's a very white ship it must be very hard to keep it clean everything's white it's very uh it's it's because apple technologies were so popular they're all using their ipods i mean 
It's kind of like the new Star Trek movies. They're all white and like shiny. Are the star? Is everything white in the new Star Trek movies? Yeah, they all look very bright and shiny and uh, star flary. Yes, there's a lot of lens flares. That's true. So Troy and Dylan load up on their ship, fly down to Earth, and we kind of get a little exposition about they're getting sent to America. There's other teams going out, obviously. One of them is getting sent to the Union of Soviet Social Republics. Troy uh, is pretty upset about it because he loves a union because you get to choose women of the whole population when you're in a union. And I was like, what yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> I know. It was such a weird line of dialogue. And it was it, it's such a uh, uh, of its timeline. Sorry, like line of dialogue of its time is a better way of saying that. <laughs> it just, yeah, anyways, it was just funny. There's a lot of that. It's very uh, beyond Westworld in that way where they'll just say something that just seems like, well, that's a weird thing for anyone to say and doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. But this is this is where we start beginning that it, the real crux of this episode is fish out of water. Would you agree with me on that? There's a lot of kind of jokes at the at, at the expense of kind of the awkwardness here and the interactions with them and real humans. That's what you get from now from this point on to the rest of the episode. Yeah, it's Star Trek The Voyage Home. They don't know culture. So they wander around and get into awkward situations and use the wrong language and ask weird questions. And it's it's mostly played for comedy, but that's the struggle. And it's very funny because they're really constantly driving home. It's like, you guys have to remain incognito. Don't let anyone know you're from the future. And everyone they meet immediately is like, I guess I'm not from the future, but everyone they meet is like, you're clearly an alien of some sort, right? <laughs> Yeah, they're they're not they're not good at pretending to be like Earth humans at all. Like their first interaction is they fly in to American airspace. And NORAD picks them up, and they scramble fighters to get them. And the first thing they do is like cloak and disappear in front of these fighter pilots. And they're like, "Well, that's weird." And then isn't it the next interaction with the the bikers? Yeah, they they land their vipers in a field and cloak them so that they can hide them from Earth people. But I guess they've built motorcycles into the vipers there's like these crazy but they look like something from tron yeah well they mention they mentioned in the show they're like oh yes they're motorbikes we uh z tried to create something that looks exactly or as close to a human uh, mode of transportation as possible but it doesn't look like any motorbike that is on earth so they have these very futuristic you're right tron looking motorbikes that immediately gain the attention of other people on motorbikes which is the next uh little scene we get yeah these a biker gang sees these bikes and they're like, I've never seen motorcycles like that. We have to find out what those motorcycles are. And they kind of like swarm them on their highway and are like, what are these motorcycles? Where did you get them from? And they're being threatened by basically some really gruff looking 70s bikers. And uh, how do they get away from these bikers, Jordan? <laughs> they have like an, a conversation between the two of them. They're like, well, I guess uh, uh, there's only way one way out of this. And they're like, ready? And they hit their buttons on their bikes and like little wings come up and they both fly away in one a hilariously bad looking sequence um and oh you didn't like up. it <laughs> well i i actually thought part of it looked good and then when they were actually flying like with the green screen i thought it looked so bad but it made me laugh anyways and then what i really liked about it though is the pikers are they're so shocked by what they've seen they just go insane on their motorbikes and they all just like flip over the hill and they're all just like wiping out crazy i'm like why would they do that they all just like i can't change myself ah and I thought it was pretty good. It's like a Blues Brothers crash sequence. As soon as they fly away, all the bikers start crashing their bikes. And there's, you know, a dozen of them. That there's, so there's so many crashes. And it's like a just stunt after stunt after stunt. And they're all pointing to the sky, so freaked out. But I, just getting back to the flight sequence, I really actually liked how they managed it. Because they, like, flip on their little 
flip button and the wings come out of the bikes and the bikes seem to have been mounted on a crane basically so they the camera's just kind of shooting a really tight shot of the back of the bike because that's probably the only place the camera could go on the crane and they just sort of have the bike raise up in the air and you just see the leaving behind these bikers who are following them so they shot it practically in a way that i was like that's kind of fun that part looked fine it was when they cut to them actually up in the air it looked like something from i i don't know like chitty chitty bang bang or something right i mean those were the effects of the time i guess yeah but yeah i mean essentially right out of the gate they are not blending in at all yeah it's like guys you have to blend in Uh, so 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 far they've been on the planet for about 10 minutes they've cloaked their ship in front of i guess the military and they've also presumably killed about 20 bikers by flying away in front of them with their super futuristic bikes they they have a quick debate about whether they should reveal this thing they're like ah who cares let's just do it yeah, I think they just really wanted to try out the bikes. I mean, I think that was definitely the implication is that one of them, Troy or Dylan, I can't, not sure which, was just like, I really want to fly this bike. Yeah. Anyway, after these two sort of clear interactions where they're like, oh, we're attracting a lot of attention, they pull off the side of the road and then cloak their motorbikes because they're like, we got to get rid of these too. And I'm like, you're leaving your shit all over the place. And it is funny because it's always a very convenient uh, large park. They can always park things. They always put it behind a bush somewhere. I'm just like, I hope you guys remember where you left this bike and these uh, planes, these Vipers, because you've never been here before. Imagine if you like landed in, I don't know, Germany, and you just kept leaving your stuff behind bushes. You're like, I'll come back for this later. I know not only that, but an entirely new planet. Yeah, you place you've never been before. You're like, I'll remember where this bush on the side of the highway is. I'll come back for my luggage later. Don't worry, they, they find their stuff. That's not, a, that's not a concern. It's true. I mean, these are not actual problems. But it's at this point we kind of meet our third lead, the Earthling who will be hanging around, who they'll be showing them the ropes of uh, America, I guess. Mm-hmm. Jamie Hamilton. She bumps into them as they try to use a payphone. She just kind of watches them try to figure out how to use denominations of currency, like they're typing stuff into their little wrist computer, trying to figure out how a phone works. I thought it was a pretty funny sequence. This episode was pretty funny. It, it, it worked for what they were doing. Like, you know, they get into a payphone and they don't want to use it. So he just starts yelling at the payphone. And he's like, no, no, louder. And he has to talk louder. And, you know, she asks him for change and he has to check his watch to see. I think the line was, phone. Oh, that must be what they used to communicate with one another. And it's like, you know, he's like, she asked him for change. He's like, I'm sorry, we used our last denomination of currency. And it's like stuff like that. And it's like, it's funny. It works. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like those good scenes in Voyage Home where like scotty's talking into a mouse of a computer because he doesn't understand how a computer works in this world yeah do you think star trek 4 by the way ripped this off because it's so similar to star trek 4 i mean i have to imagine there's been other shows that have done this before i i I mean do you think this show started that trope no but i mean there's so many scenes that are like like exactly the same that i was like and almost the plot is the same like anyway I just thought I was like, holy, because at first I was like, man, they're really copying Star Trek 4. And I was like, wait a minute, Star Trek 4 came after this. Yeah, I, it's possible. It's possible someone watched that and was like, we can do this, but better. Which they did. But yes, Jamie Hamilton is a woman on her way to an interview at the, uh, I think I wrote it down here, United Broadcasting Company. Yeah, she she wants to be a reporter. I don't know if she is a reporter, but she wants to, regardless, she wants to work at this company. She's on her way for an interview. And as she puts it, she's on her way to an interview to be a news girl lady person is that what she says <laughs> she stumbles over it she introduces herself and she's kind of like i'm gonna be a news girl i mean lady i mean person she's like no stop it you're a feminist stop just calling yourself a girl it, it is very i mean this was we saw this in beyond westworld too a lot of 
a lot of jokes or grist from the mill over the idea that like feminism was becoming a thing. Yeah. But essentially, she kind of doesn't trust these guys who basically don't appear to know anything. Like, she's a little cautious of them. And at some point, they break the payphone to get some money. And now she's like, oh, you guys are thieves trying to steal all these quarters from a payphone. But she has a real quick switch because they just – all they say to her is – I can't remember what the doctor's name. You, I'm sure you have it there. They're like, oh, we're here to see what's it called. And she's like, oh, are you? That seems fine. Do you want to want, drive? Like, it's just like it, the switch happens like nothing. Well, that's it. Uh, they say – oh, well, we're just doing this because we're trying to see Dr. Mortensen, who their plan is to meet this guy who they saw on the TV signals on Earth, from Earth, who is a physicist who knows a lot about nuclear science. And they're like, oh, that's a guy we can talk to and probably help him. And so when they say they're going to see Dr. Mortensen, she's like, whoa, the Dr. Mortensen? He's like the most famous scientist. Yeah, these guys are legitimate. Everyone knows Dr. Mortensen. And if they're meeting him, they must be okay, guys. Yeah, so she she flips very quickly and uh, they get a ride with her off to the Pacific Institute of Technology. Mm-hmm. When they arrive, though, there's a huge protest going on. There's all these sort of hippie protesters who are against nuclear power. And it's very funny because I would say the show is probably on the Gene Roddenberry side of uh, liberalism. But they're very... <laughs> The people protesting nuclear sort of power are really treated like they're very stupid. Yeah, they're shown to be stupid because they have the they cut to the doctor, who, by the way, is the Brady Bunch dad. So that's two Brady Bunch people in this show. And uh, and he sort of had gives this kind of small little speech about how, like, uh, they're trying to save the plant, but they don't understand the power that nuclear technology can bring. And like it can bring good and we're doing stuff. And it's like I was like, oh, that's a weird message. But that's that's the one the show chose to go with. Yeah, he, he basically saying if we could only figure out how to neutralize nuclear waste, it would save the world nuclear power. And these people just misunderstand his work, basically. I was just like, what an odd message to be giving in your first episode. Mm-hmm. But Jamie drops off Troy and Dylan and just says, well, good luck with your meeting the doctor. And she goes off to her interview and... Troy and Dylan have to try to find a way into the building. Uh, and obviously, there's protesters, there's security outside, and they kind of use a freeze ray to zap security so they can get past him. They shoot him with the laser, and then he's just frozen for, I don't know, like a minute or so. And they use that time to just get in the elevator. Yeah, they sort of use that to sneak past him. They go up. The doctor's not in his office, but they talk to his assistant, and they see his formula is on his computer. So they're like, oh, he's pretty close to neutralizing nuclear waste, I guess. Let let me just fix his formula for him. They goodwill hunting it big time. Yeah, exactly. There's, his assistant's like, please, please don't do that. Please don't touch his computer. <laughs> and uh, security calls up and says, hey, are there two guys in there who uh, broke in? She's like, yes, there are. So they kind of have to make a quick retreat before the doctor gets back and they can talk to him. But they're like, hey, when the doctor gets back, show him the formula we've written and tell him to call Jamie Hamilton at the United Broadcasting Corporation. Yeah, and that was a weird thing of like to connect this all because it's like they know one person like have him call her. I know we don't know where she is or anything about her, but uh, she'll be able to get him in touch with us, which of course it all works together. But it was such a weird way to uh, uh, connect those threads. They're immediately arrested by the cops outside and the doctor comes back into his office and he sees he sees what they've written down on his computer screen and his mind is blown. <laughs> he gives and I know you, you wrote it down, too. He gives the greatest line reading of the weirdest line of dialogue. Yeah, well, his assistant apologizes to him. because She's like, oh, these hoodlums broke in and they destroyed your formula. I'm so sorry. And yeah, he turns to her and he says, these hoodlums, as you call them may be as important to mankind as the coming of the Messiah. 
I know. And it, I was like, whoa, oh, okay. I know. How's that for hyperbole? Yeah. It's just like, calm down, doctor. He's very excited about these space people. Yeah. We jump back to Jamie, who's arriving to her interview at UBC. And she's waiting to meet Mr. Brooks, who's like the news director of the company to like do this interview. And while she's waiting, she gets a phone call. And it's Troy and Dylan calling from prison being like, hey, uh, we're in prison. We need some help. There's a lot of weird beats that seem to be missing in this. But you're just like, you're right. They're just like, let's just go with it. Well, and as she's talking on the phone, there's a news report going on at the same time. Because I guess in 1970s, 24-hour news was huge. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But there's a news report about how terrorists broke in and tried to get to Dr. Mortensen. And it's like news footage of them being put into a cop car that happened, what, 15 seconds ago? (laughs) And doesn't she? Isn't she like you guys aren't like legitimate at all now? Well, she calls them terrorists, and then she's like, "You used me, you chauvinists," and she's like, hangs up on them. But the secretary's sort of watching this weird phone call that's happening. She's like, "Who's calling her here?" And then she watches her yelling for a bit, and she's like, "All right, this lady's crazy." So she calls Mr. Brooks out. She's like, "We need to get rid of this crazy woman." She says she's here for an interview, but I think she's insane. And then she gets a second phone call. So the secretary picks up the phone again, and it's this time. Doc Mortensen's calling. He's like, hey, I'm calling to talk to Jamie. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. So, so while waiting for the interview, she's now had two phone calls. And But uh, Doc, what's his name? Mr. Brooks? Is that his yeah, name? Yeah, Mr. Brooks, the news director. He's very excited because he realizes she's talking to Dr. Mortensen, who evidently he's been trying to get an interview with for a long time, which is a real news scoop. So he's basically like, if you can get an interview with her, you're with him, you're hired. And so that's what happens. This entire scene, uh, I was trying to imagine you in your office if you were like interviewing someone for a job and then like the phone kept ringing and people kept calling for the person you're interviewing and how like annoyed you'd be oh yeah they would never get the job that would be like the end of that interview right there it's like yeah you had someone call you at this job it's like oh yeah yeah i told them i was going to be here just to call if they needed me and you're like all right well and the phone rings again hello hey is uh jamie there yeah i that would not that would not go well (laughs) (laughs) but yes mr brooks is like We've been dying to interview Mr. Morton, Dr. Mortensen. And since he knows you, why don't we like do some gotcha journalism on him? Because he hates reporters. Yeah. Which I was like, why does Dr. Mortensen hate reporters so much? Well, I assume because uh, he's uh, a bit of a monster with his nuclear technology. And they've been uh, painting him in a bad light with that fake news. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very... Everything... I mean, I guess it's just the period of time. But like everything is coming together so conveniently. I do appreciate... That they're not bending over backwards to make the exposition make sense. At least we just move forward all the time. Well, that, that's right. There's there's not a lot of wasted time in this. They're just like, oh, yeah, and she gets a phone call. And next, and he's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Next, and they just keep moving. So it's like, it keeps it a nice clip. So now we know how Jamie's going to get together with Dr. Mortensen. But we still have the problem that our heroes, Troy and Dylan, have just been arrested by the police. Mm-hmm. Fun little detail here. They don't have fingerprints for some reason. Oh, yeah. Why why, why was that? I, I don't know. They're trying to print them at the police station, and they're like, uh, Chief, these guys don't have fingerprints. And I'm like, why don't Galactican people, Capricans? Where are they from, Caprica? I don't know. Why don't they have fingerprints? I mean, we'll have to uh, ask people who've watched the original Battlestar Galactica. Was that a plot point? Because it is weird. They're all test tube babies without finger. I don't understand like, how that would happen. Yeah. Anyways, they don't have finger. Or maybe they burn them off when they join the uh, Galactica military. Well, that's what the cop accuses them. It's like, oh, you think burning off your fingerprints will stop us, eh? I'm like, what? Yeah. 
So they get thrown in the slammer. They get tossed in the slammer. There's a a real drunk rummy type. I I loved it. This this episode has a lot of this, but this scene was so broad. Like they might they just had a guy who's like a silent actor, just sort of like I'm a drunk, and then he's like I'm shocked. It was great. It was so funny. Yeah, he gets a lot of close ups. This guy of this drunk guy in this jail cell. I guess in the drunk take, basically. Troy and Dylan are like, all right, we have to get out of this prison cell. I've got an idea. And this is the first time they do it, but they cloak themselves. So now they're just two disembodied voices inside of this prison cell. And of course, when they do this directly in front of this man, like they're they're not being quiet or subtle at all. Not only do they do it right in front of him, they're staring at him very creepily while they do it. <laughs> that is true. They look right at him and then disappear. And this, this man gets the like best sequence because he basically loses his mind you watch a man lose his sanity yeah they don't want to change uh, uh things too much but they have no part no problem sending this guy insane he starts like falling all over the place shrieking because these men have disappeared in front of him and of course when the cops come in to see what the commotion is they open the cell door because the guys they just put in there are gone what's weird is you can still hear them talking so this cop must be hearing them speaking while not being able to see them anyway they they push past him and like so much invisible acting in this show like the cop has to pretend to get pushed from behind into the cell and the show locks and you're just supposed to assume they escape but there's we're come back to it there's so much invisibility acting in this show it's insane so they get out the cop gets locked in his own cell and uh is this when we come to this is pretty much the end of the episode right we suddenly cut to a kid in the park yeah we jump back to the field they park their vipers in and there's a kid throwing a stick around for his dog and how much did you want that kid to, like, run headlong into an invisible ship? <laughs> That's what I thought was going to happen. I was looking forward to it. And then he doesn't. Because he's just running around all willy-nilly. I'm like, oh, he's definitely going to just slam into a ship. It doesn't happen. The ship's just kind of run out of cloak energy. I guess it's been 24 hours. Yeah. And the kid sees these ships and he's like, I have to run home and tell my dad. And end of part one to be continued. This was the least exciting cliffhanger I think I've ever seen in a television show. It's like a kid found a ship who cares <laughs> like who cares they're gonna be exposed oh no yeah i was just like all right well guys the stakes have never been higher i mean they've been exposing themselves for a full hour at this point i know they literally just they literally just made themselves invisible in front of people but anyways that's that's where the episode ends so and i didn't realize it was going to be a two-parter and it's more than that so we we go directly into episode two yeah let's keep the party train going with summary uh for the episode two galactica mm-hmm. discovers earth part two Wait a minute. Are you guys serious? You're really going to travel to Earth's past? I mean, is that really possible? Like the commander said, he'll explain later. But I might be able to help. Jamie, time travel requires a lot of preparation. If you don't know exactly what to expect, it's very dangerous for everyone. But that's the whole point. Who knows more about Earth's past than a person from Earth? The commander won't even consider it. Dylan, I'm a reporter. This could be the greatest story in history. And you heard that guy, he's gonna put me on ice up here indefinitely. Wherever you guys are going, I'm going. You wanna bet? The thrilling adventures of Battlestar Galactica continue in part two of Galactica Destroys Earth, when Commander Adama dispatches two young pilots, Captain Troy and Lieutenant Dylan, to the planet Earth. That summary was courtesy of Anonymous. That's not a summary of this episode at all. It's terrible. It feels like that must have been in TV Guide or something. That was awful. So, well, we should talk... Uh, we'll go through it. We don't need to... I guess that's a terrible summary. So let's just go right into it. Yeah. Well, we basically pick up where the cliffhanger left off is the little boy, whose name is Willie, 
runs home to tell his family about the spaceships he saw and they are so dismissive of him i love it you know what i love i wrote these are not millennial parents these are boomer parents because they're so mean to him it's great <laughs> they're like he's like i saw a spaceship they're like shut up bill you stupid little useless kid you're not gonna amount to anything well that i mean they basically stopped short of just telling him to shut up like <laughs> they could care less about what he's saying or what he thinks he saw they're like, uh, Billy, what did we tell you about having imagination? That sure doesn't get you a job as an engineer, does it? Yeah, shut up. But essentially what happens is his dad promises after dinner he'll go for a walk and see if he sees these spaceships. And that kind of ends where a cliffhanger left off. Is like, did this kid make it home to tell his parents? Yes, he did. And they didn't care. <laughs> you know what I like, though? They had to film this scene. They had to find a kitchen or build this kitchen set to have this scene that is not needed at all. I was like, we have to cast these people, the whole family. They got to get the props of them, like, eating food. I'm like, this scene's not needed at all. I don't care about watching him tell his parents about the, the spaceship. That's how high the stakes are. Will this yeah. kid tell someone he saw a spaceship? <laughs> but if we get back to what's happening with our characters, Jamie's been wired up by the news team mr brooks and his like camera crew they basically have a news van out there they're going to secretly have a mic on her so she goes to talk to dr mortensen they're going to shoot her with a long lens from the back of this van and kind of try to catch an interview with dr mortensen for the news which all seems very sketchy did he know they were going to have an interview or not no well she called or dr mortensen called jamie because he's trying to get a hold of right the right. space aliens and in fact, as she walks over there, uh, apropos to nothing, Dylan and Troy decloak in front of her how they found her or how they knew where to meet her. I have no idea. <laughs> what I like, though, is that what you have to assume then is they've just been standing there for hours, cloaked, <laughs> just waiting. And then finally, she's there and they're like, they decloak. And they're also both wearing leather jackets. And I don't know that was funny to me, but it just looked it looked funny because they're each wearing their own version of this leather jacket. But yes, they just they suddenly know she's there and they decloak and they've apparently been standing there for hours. And uh, so that's all that's all worked out. It's all tied together. Yeah. And Dr. Bornson's just a few meters down the street. So they go talk to him. And the entire time, like she's like, oh, I'm going to do a secret interview with him. And Dylan and Troy are like, oh, don't do that. We don't want anyone knowing our secrets. But they're talking to Dr. Ornson. He's got, basically, I think he has a line like, no one of this earth could possibly know what you guys know. And like, they're talking. The camera crew is theoretically watching them. In fact, Mr. Brooks turns to the sound guy who's listening in on the mic where they're having a conversation with the space aliens who just decloaked and Dr. Mortensen who's saying like really weird things about no one of this earth. And Mr. Brooks asks the sound guy, he's just like, <laughs> are they saying anything interesting? And the sound guy takes off his headphones. He's like, eh, they're just talking about a lot of nothing stuff. <laughs> I know. He's, he's, a, he's terrible at his job. He's just watching the clock. He's like, yeah, 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 space aliens. Let's just get to the end of this shift. Well, when he said they're talking about a lot of nothing stuff, I'm like, oh, he must just be listening to our podcast. <laughs> oh, oh, burn on us. You know what I liked about this scene, though, is this scene has a lot of, um, what's, what's the girl's name? Jamie? Yeah. Jamie keeps looking to the news director, and she's getting irritated because dr mortensen mortensen yes mortensen only wants to talk to uh the two galactica guys and she keeps trying to get an interview so she just keeps looking over like it's supposed to be a secret thing but she's looking over like 10 feet over to the the news van and she's you know a lot of hand signals like i can't believe it and then he'll gesture back to her like ask him a question then she'll go back and gesture like i can't and this goes on and on and on i'm like everyone can see you guys like this is the worst secret interview ever i mean what we learned from the show is no one in this in this entire series can keep a secret to save their lives. 
So anyways, they have a conversation. He basically knows they're not from Earth. They don't deny it. And uh, and, and then they suddenly get in a car. When did that happen? Well, that's it. They're, they're like, all right, we should have a talk. And Doc Wartenson's like, why don't we go for a drive and talk as we drive? And Jamie, like, forces her way into the car because she still wants to try to get this interview. Even though we're like, no, Jamie, don't come with us. You're not invited. And she's like, no, I'm coming. Yeah. They get in a car, then basically kicks off a wacky car chase because the news van starts following them. And then, I don't know, they at some point, Dylan's like, I want to drive. So mid-driving, they don't even stop. Somehow, <laughs> just gets in. they swap driver's seats with Dr. Morrison. Like, they like... I don't even know how you would, like, maneuver that. But, like, mid-driving, they swap seats. But what I like is they don't even... Whoever was making the episode didn't even think it was important to show that. It was just like, hey, yeah, the guy's in the seat now. Now he's driving. And I guess he must run a light or something because the cops start chasing them. And it's just really... There's wacky chase music. They're ripping around these, like, city sets. At some point, Dylan manages to get the car up on two wheels. Like, its whole right side is up in the air and the two wheels on the ground and he's like driving four blocks on two wheels yeah you're right this you said it earlier but this is very blues brothers and that that is what this is it's, it becomes just a long car chase but it's not meant to be exciting it's kind of meant to be silly yeah i mean it's great because they keep cutting back to the news van and mr brooks is loving it he's like this footage is amazing i can't believe we're getting this footage i'm like yeah me neither <laughs> <laughs> at any rate at some point mid chase Dylan and Troy get a call. They're being uh, asked to return to Galactica. There's some important news, and they have to return as quickly as they can. The, I guess all the teams on Earth are being recalled. And so they need to find a way to get out of this car chase. So Dylan comes up with a plan, which is he just drives into a department store. I know. He, like, through the front window of a department store, into the racks, and then they cloak with Jamie for some reason. And leave Dr. Mortensen behind and like basically the cops pull up and they they assume Dr. Mortensen has been kidnapped by the terrorists and they've just saved him. They like sneak off in their cloaked fashion and get into a cop car and they steal a cop car and basically drive away. Yeah. Which gets them out of this sort of, I guess, weird kidnapping plot they were in so they can go back to Galactica. I have a question for you, though. So we know there's a bunch of teams on missions around the world. Have they all been going this well? Like, are we to assume in the USSR someone just finished a two-wheel car chase in, like, Britain? There's been, like, a two-wheel lorry chase going on. My assumption is these two guys are particularly bad. I think everything else is being very quiet and very uh, done in a very secretive way. And these guys are just two, two buffoons who are just constantly blowing stuff up. I really wanted to imagine there's a better version of the series where we're watching all of them and it's like, the movie rat race or something there's just like dozens and dozens of characters who are all incompetent there might be a better show in there somewhere just cutting around the world and it's just like they're all just like so bad <laughs> so they get back up to galactica now we're back on the ship well not quite because they got to go back and a they have to go back and get their motorcycles which i oh, guess they do right. off screen and then they go back to their vipers and as they're kind of loading up the dad and kid have found these vipers and the dad now believes his son and they've gone off to get the cops. And as the cop, they're coming back with the cops. The guys are loading onto their vipers and Jamie climbs in and they're like, you can't come with us. And he's like, she's like, I'm going to. And they're like, well, nothing we can do about it. You're already inside of the viper. And they're like, oh, but we have this extra helmet too. So there you go. Yeah. And basically the ships take off to fly back. And as the dad and the son roll up with this cop, they just sort of catch the tail end of these shooting stars flying off. And the dad's like, no, they were real. There were really spaceships here. 
And I wrote down a note of just like, this cop doesn't believe this dad. He's going to get put away. He's going to lose custody of his children. (laughs) Like, they're going to think he's an insane person. This is really a disaster. The cop couldn't be more dismissive. I really liked him. Yeah, he's just like, sure you did, Mr. Whatever. You're not a crazy person. Your son's not in danger with you. He's like, let me smell your breath. Uh, But yeah, they they keep coming back to this weird kid subplot with his dad. And yeah, now they're off to space. Jamie has come along for some reason. Adamo calls and he's like, hey, uh, we just scanned you. And um, there's someone else on your ship that has an extra chromosome. What's going on? But let me mention one thing. When they're flying... They, they show a little bit of the sequence of them flying from Earth to the ship. And at one part, she's like, where are we? Where are we going? And then they, like, look behind you. There's Earth. She's like, we left Earth? I was like, you, you've had your eyes open this whole time. You clearly were going up into the sky. Like, how, what is she, stupid? Well, she keeps trying to figure out who they are. Like, she keeps asking, like, who are you people? Who are you people? And they were always refuse to answer. And you're right. As she looks back and sees Earth, she finally asks them. She's like, she thinks she figures out who they are. She's like... What are you guys, Super NASA or the CIA? Super NASA. I was just like, Super NASA? She's really not piecing the... She's not a great reporter. Well, but she is the character. Like, she just wants to get the story no matter what. That's basically all you need to know about her character. Well, she just broke it. They're Super NASA. (laughs) They get back and they introduce her to Adama. No one's really that upset that they've brought this human up to their spaceship. They're like, all right, well, now that you're here, welcome aboard. I think he even says at one point, he's like, oh, we'll deal with it later. Yeah, well, they keep saying that. They're like, oh, we'll deal with this problem some other time. But Adama gives them the new mission. Basically, they've all been called back because Dr. Z has created a time warp synthesizer. And I guess this character who I guess was in the background of other scenes, Commander Xavier, he's basically broke away from the Council of Twelve and used this time warp synthesizer to travel back in time to basically jumpstart Earth's tech. Yeah, and to, who was this character? I think we saw him in some of those early mission briefings in the first episode, just kind of sitting there. But essentially, he's, he's basically gone rogue, taken this technology to go back in time. And what they tell them is like, he's gone back to 1944, and he's decided to help the Nazis. We'll get to that weird plot point in a minute. But didn't this feel like there was a weird editing problem? Like, it felt like they had another episode they jammed on here or they tried to recut something because this was weird. It was like, this, honestly, this is like almost 30 minutes into the episode. They're like, okay, all that stuff that just happened. By the way, we're going to go back down to World War Two. You're like, what? What is just happening? And it, oh, and all that character that you don't know and you've never seen before. He's the reason we're going back. It was really odd. Yeah, it is like they paused the pilot episode to start a new episode midstream. I'm curious to see if we can find some history behind this. My, my assumption is this is some sort of recut because it doesn't make any sense. I, I couldn't be because even when they're in the other episode, there really is a point where they're like, sorry, Dr. Mortensen, we've got to go back. We'll come back and finish your plot line later. And he's like, okay, I'll see you guys in a bit. <laughs> like they have a conversation about it. There's another one other plot point I should mention here. So they get to the 1980 and they're disappointed because the technology is not where they want it to be but if they have a time traveling why don't they just travel a little go to 2020 yeah i don't know i mean i guess they've already brought the silence to earth so in the future it'll be wiped out uh, okay yeah I, don't know. I just think it's a bit of a plot hole but anyways for some reason this guy wants to have the nazis be in charge so he goes back so like i guess we got to go back to 1944 i think what it is is i don't know why he chose to go back to 1944 that isn't clear I think what it is, is he doesn't really care who's in charge. He just sees the Nazis have a slight uh, technological advantage with their rockets. So he just figures, oh, these guys already know how to build rockets. I'll just jumpstart them. Like his plan is just to go back in time and jumpstart technology at an earlier stage than 1980. Why 44? I don't know. 
And I should say, at this point, we have a long, long explanation of World War II history by, what's her name, Candace? Jamie. Well, this is it. Dr. Z says, yeah, you should keep her around because we need someone who knows Earth history. And she's like, I got an A-plus in high school history, so you should keep me around. Yeah. And they're really relying on her to give them like any sort of context whenever they need it. Can I mention one thing here? And now, this may or may not be true, but what I read was, so this episode, Galactica aired an hour earlier than Battlestar Galactica did. And Battlestar Galactica was at the beginning of primetime, but because they put this earlier on, it was essentially an after-school show. And because of that, they had to add in educational aspects to every episode. And this part here where she's going on about uh, history was them jamming in like a history lesson for the kids. Now, I don't know if it's true or not, but I think it's something to keep in mind when we watch future episodes to see if there's these sort of weird ham-fisted jamming in of uh, lessons. But that's what I read. So it it seems to work for this episode in terms of of that theory, but uh, I guess we'll see as it goes further. What a fun drinking game. Every time there's something educational, take a drink. But I mean, to say this is educational is stretching it. I learned so much about World War II from Jamie. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you don't learn anything. There's an interesting thing I started thinking about when, when we know this Xavier character has gone back in time basically to kickstart the Nazis. I would have loved it if in this episode, when he goes back in time, because Galactica isn't from Earth, any changes to Earth history aren't going to really affect them in any way, shape, or form. That's They'll true. they be arriving at the same time. I thought it would have been great if whenever Xavier like traveled back in time, suddenly it became Nazi world. And like Jamie was now a Nazi and there and like Troy and Dylan are like, whoa, what happened? Someone's changed history. <laughs> There's some issues with the time of this because they keep mentioning, you know, it's going to happen very soon. They're like, uh, they fly down and they're like, don't shoot down those Nazi ships because we don't want to change the timeline. It's like, but you guys just being here is changing the timeline. You're talking to people. You're doing things. Murdering isn't the only way you can change a timeline. Right. But I guess what I'm saying is like there was an opportunity here, I think, because you don't you know, you can, it's always a debate in the time travel shows, like how does, if you go back in time, how quickly does it affect the future? So if you're in the future, but Doc Brown's already gone back and like made it old West times, like, should you, should it automatically change? Should there be right. like a moment when it shuffles over? Like there's a wave effect. I thought it would have been a cool opportunity since it won't affect Dylan and Troy at all. Their history is completely separate. It would have been cool if like at one point on this Dr. Morton's thing, like maybe if they were driving around in that car and at they don't know it, unbeknownst to them, Xavier's gone back in time that exact second mid-car chase. Right. And when the car chase ends, they were being chased by SS officers in America. And you're like, they're like, uh-oh, something's happened. We better rush back to Galactica and find out what's happened. When they get back there, they're like, well, we're down there. We're in America. And suddenly it became Nazi America. What happened? Like, that would have been a cool way of, like, dealing with that plot. I think uh, w- what your idea is is a good one, and it would make it a better show. But unfortunately, uh, that's not the show they made. <laughs> No, it's true. I, I don't know. I was just like, that would have been a very cool way of handling this little transition because, you know, you've got these characters who it won't bother. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway, they're basically given the mission. They've got to go back in time and stop Xavier from changing history, basically. Because I guess the Council of Twelve does not agree with his plan of how he's going to, like, kickstart Earth's technology. Right. And they launch and basically time travel works in the show exactly like it does in Superman the movie. Yeah. Is that how they do it? Do you remember the original Superman movie with Richard Donner? Yeah, he goes around the opposite way around the planet really, really fast and changes the uh, Earth's gravitational uh, spin. Yeah, he goes around Earth backwards and it just goes back in time. That's yeah. exactly what they do here. All I really paid attention to was the actual effect of going back into the past, and I did like that. It's not bad. It's like an optical effect where like 
lights are like like circles are flying at the like cockpit and like there's a strobe effect it's not a bad little like 70s space effect a little bit like going through hyperdrive or something Mm -hmm. what's the other uh, cool side effect of traveling back in time jordan okay i have no idea why this is a side effect but all of their clothes turn white their helmets their clothes everything and i think uh, correct me if i'm wrong luke don't they say it's because of the magnetic stress loads yeah the magnetic stress loads on synthetic fabrics cause them to turn completely like just zap the color out of them sure i'm all on board that it turns everything white for whatever reason but here's the thing I don't know why they chose to do that because it has, there's no bearing on the plot at all. Like, it's not like, oh, that's handy later because they're white and whatever, blah, blah, blah. They just, they're like, oh, we just have them wearing new outfits. Like, why don't they just say, oh, we have to wear these white outfits because they're our time travel outfits. I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. I guess it's supposed to be a visual cue to when they've traveled back in time. But I mean, I actually thought the white outfits were kind of cool. They looked really good. It, again, it they looked fine. It was it, and I'm sure, like, sure, it changes, but it's like it was weird to make that decision. That has there's no reason for it. It was a new twist on what happens when you travel back in time. Yeah, it makes as much sense to like. Oh, by the way, uh, you change gender. Oh, by the way, when you go in time, you grow a mustache. Oh, by the way, your feet get bigger. It's like why? Oh, just because. This is what happens. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really funny because this is you know basically episode two one is ended. Episode two started, and now we're kind of kicking off almost a new plot line in the middle of this two-parter. And this new plot line has them flying into Nazi Germany, like through airspace. Just like in episode one, they're attacked by German fighters who are scrambled. I actually wrote, I'm like, guys, we've just done this scene before. Come they, on. They just, they, they basically follow the same beat again. Uh, they, they, you know, cloak to escape them as usual. They proceed to immediately land in the exact same field they landed in in episode one. But now it's in Nazi Germany. It's the like it's the same shot. They didn't even try to dress it to look differently. It's like oh, apparently just this German field looks exactly like the one in California. Just shoot it from a different angle. Not, nothing. It's like the same shot. They're like we're in Nazi Germany now. It's like you. This the this is the exact same shot you just showed me. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, so weird. And uh, they watch. Well, it's stock footage, but Allied plane flies over and gets shot out of the sky by some anti anti airplane fire. And uh, a man parachutes out, and they're like, we got to go save that that gentleman who just jumped out of this plane. Mm-hmm. And well, who they find is an American spy who will join them for the rest of this time travel portion of the episode. And kind of gives them some, I guess, forward momentum, because they're like, where do they go now? And they're like, oh, uh, I'm an American spy, and I'm supposed to go meet my contact in town. But it's at this point, they like follow the spy into town, and things turn super fucking dark out of nowhere. Yeah, they come to like a house in Germany, right? Well, that before they get to that house in Germany, they stop at a railway oh, that's right. side. That's right. And the characters watch Jews being loaded onto boxcars and talk about how they're being sent off to like concentration camps and how they can't do anything about it because they can't change the timeline. So we just have to sit there and watch in the middle of this very dumb show, <laughs> like Jews being rounded up by Nazis and put on boxcars. I was like, what the fuck is going on here and it's another of those little history lessons and they're like well, what did these people do and she's like they didn't do anything and they're like well that seems crazy i'm like okay guys <laughs> we get it well and then jamie's like we should probably try to stop them and the, and the two battlestar galactic guys are like nah we can't <laughs> but they but this they do dark well they, what happens they do save one person one little girl makes a break for it and they scoop her up and basically rescue one person off the train yeah. So they now are basically the two men from Galactica, Jamie, 
the American spy and this little girl, and they all go off to meet his contact at this house. And they get in there, and basically the contact tells them, hey, they're going to be doing these tests tomorrow, so that's, I guess, where you need to be, these rocket tests. It's, It's just, you know, a driver forward of the plot. And as soon as they find out this information, the Gestapo raids the house. Yeah. And, of course, they all cloak to hide from them, because why wouldn't you if you have a cloaking device? Except for the little girl, who they just rescued, immediately gets captured again. I thought this little girl was going to hang out. It was just so weird. Like, they save one person from, essentially, the Holocaust, and then immediately they get captured again. And I was just like, yeah. what was the point of any of this? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I think you might be able to say that about this whole, this whole episode, perhaps the whole series. It was, it was so bizarre. And then we get another sequence of invisibility acting where the Gestapo are arresting everyone in the building. But our characters who are cloaked, they're, they're talking in VO. So there's no one in the room. There's just voiceover now of these people chatting at each other. And, of course, all the Nazis speak English because why wouldn't you? They speak English with bad German accents. Right. So the Gestapo is like, a couple of them are like, who's there? Who's saying that? And, like, one of them gets thrown out a window. So you watch an actor throw himself out a window. Yeah. <laughs> and then another one, because this is like, I guess, it's what you would do in these sort of shows at this time. It's very Hogan's Heroes. The other guy's like, watch out. I'm a crack shot, whoever's out there. And he goes to pull his gun out and just shoots himself in the leg. Because he's, he's such a bumbling buffoon. Yeah, I, the humor in this is real broad. Well, it's just so... They go from, like, Hogan's Heroes bumbling Gestapo to, like, Holocaust stuff back to, like, weird slapstick stuff. Like, I'm like, what is going on? This Tonally, <laughs> the show is really flipping and flopping. I still don't know if I even buy why they even had to go back to World War II. Because it's like, oh, he wanted to get a rocket. And Stern's like, oh, okay. It just... It didn't need to be this time like there wasn't anything specific about this that it was like oh it has to be 1944 i mean this could have been any time period they could have went to 1960 and there could be a thing or 1970 you know what i mean well i mean it really feels like it's like that's an iconic time to go to like that's the episode of star trek the original series where they go back to nazi germany or something it just feels like they're like hey people love this what it felt like to me was that the writers chose 1980 because that's the time period they're actually writing the show and then they went i'm really bored with 1980 what if we have them immediately leave this time period we chose and go back to world war ii yeah it is kind of amazing to see how this pilot came together it is like we're part two of this pilot and we're like i'm back in world war ii suddenly (laughs) I know. It's crazy. It's been less than an hour and a half of this show total. Uh, Anyway, um, this basically, since they know to go to these rocket tests, they figure this is where Commander Xavier is going to be. And he is. Basically, what he's done is he's helped the Nazis create a V2 rocket, which they're going to be testing that day. And they arrive just in time to watch them, like, shoot off a V1 rocket. And they're like, well, it looks like we're going to have to stop him and his new fancy rocket. And then immediately... To be continued comes up and I'm like, whoa, there's another part to this episode. This pilot's going to keep going. I couldn't believe it that they decided for the, a new TV show. I mean, irrespective of that, it was essentially a sequel TV show. They're just like, we're just going to start this with a very serialized, although there's no reason for it to be serialized, three episodes. And we don't even know what's going to be. Do you think it's going to be like that every episode? Do you think there's just going to be one storyline for this whole show? I don't know. It's a good question. I was shocked to see a pilot run for three episodes. I mean, I'm used to like an extra long pilot episode, but to go for like arguably an hour and a half of television time, that's yeah. that's something. I got to say, I, I got to give them props. They really went for something. 
Yeah, <laughs> they did. They went for something. That's true. We've complained about other series like maybe Space Bump Beyond where they had a five episode, five season arc, sorry, where they had all these things planned, but they didn't get to them because they were canceled after one season. I mean, this show is leaving it all on the table in this first pilot episode. They're like, they're like, we showed up to Earth. We give them technology. We go back in time. Like, what else? Right. What other ideas did they have? Like, they're doing it all in this first episode. And in not all successful ways, but I think you're right that uh, they're jamming everything in they can. Yeah, I don't know. Do you have like? Do you want to get into the ratings of this episode then? I don't know. Should do we talk about this as each individual episode? Because it's really one episode. But I did re- review kind of both, and maybe it's worth taking. Have I quite liked the first episode? I mean, again, I don't know if people who rig- originally like Battlestar Galactica would have liked this because I have a feeling that show wasn't as funny as this. But I thought it's kind of a silly, fun sci-fi episode. I thought it was pretty fun, so I'd give it a seven. What about you? I agree. Not knowing much about the original series. It's a little bland, but it's a lot of fun to be had in it. Like, and I like shows set in like or shows that were made in the eighties and seventies. Like, I, there's something about the aesthetic and they're like mm-hmm. the way they do effects and kind of uh, I find fun. So I, yeah, for me, I was like, you know what, this is a pretty weird, fun episode, and I, I was giving it a seven too. Okay, so for the second episode, I didn't like this one as much. I think mostly because one, it was the second half of a cliffhanger, and they didn't finish the story or did and came back to it i just thought this one was kind of a bit of a mess and also i didn't think it was as fun um so i'm gonna give this one a five and a half you know what you're right it's tough to break them into individual episodes because they're like a continuing serialized story i don't know though i i still like this like i i my mind was blown when they're like now we're gonna go back to 1944 mid episode i was like what is happening here um but you're right i mean it's a little sloppy I'm still going to give it like a 6.5, I think. I still was just like, why did their uniforms turn white? Now they're now they're doing invisible Nazi fighting. I'm like, yeah. what is yeah. happening? I, I do like that there's a lot of weird sci-fi stuff thrown in just because. And uh, I hope there's more of that in this show. Now, we'll see how much of a mess the show is because it's giving real hints that this is going to be a bit of a a bit of a mess going forward. But I do hope that if that's the case, at least it'll be a fun mess. Oh, yeah. I mean... If the show stays as wild as this first two episodes were, where things just turn on a dime, like, I was like, what is happening on this show? I'm enjoying that aspect of it. This almost plays a little bit, intended or not, like a little bit like Silver Age comics, you know, like Superman's like, oh, I turned into a fish. Like, why? Like, I don't know. It's fun. And so there's there's that aspect of this, and um, intended or otherwise. So I hope it keeps that uh, that feeling. It's, It's something different. I don't think we've had a show that has... That's kind of had this kind of humor in it before. It's definitely wild. They're doing whatever they want, and they don't really care how it connects together. And I gotta say, I appreciate it a little bit. Like it fits the tone of the show a bit. Yeah. Except when they start talking about the darkest things in human history. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, well, they are gonna. Uh, I assume in the next episode, episode three, they're gonna go back to the Black Plague. Yeah. There's a brief stop in the Inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So I mean, that's it. So that we're gonna come back for three and four, which I maybe we'll finish the storyline yeah it'll be part three and then probably part four and then maybe we'll get to part six of this whole once the one episode called galactica discovers earth will just keep going forever (laughs) in the meantime if you want to talk to us about galactica 1980 if you have information that we need to know you can get us at continuumdrag at gmail.com and of course follow us on instagram and twitter where we'll have clips from the show and like photos and background information Um, In the meantime, though, uh, thanks for listening. And Jordan, I guess we'll see you next week. Yeah, we'll see you then. All right. Bye. Continuum Drag is recorded at Astrolab Studios in Toronto, Ontario. 
Theme music by James Ruxiedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, and Dwayne Wright. <laughs>